Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today's episode is about celebrating May Day in the Anywhere workplace. I had thought of trying to tie it to uh, Star Wars and the whole May the Fourth Be With You concept, but unfortunately, we are talking about a survey that was conducted on uh, workplace changes going on right now. So while May, May Day goes back centuries as a celebration of spring, it took on new meaning as part of the whole 19th century labor movement for workers' rights. And so we're seeing right now a long-term shift in workplace rights and practices. And we saw that fueled by response to a current um, uh, survey that was conducted. So uh, we're gonna tie this a little bit to the pandemic because it is a driving force, but I wanna make clear this is not an episode about how to respond to COVID-19. We're all past that, it's been done to death. I think you know we're just hearing the same thing over and over. So today we're gonna be talking about survey data that was collected from security leaders around the world about how this is affecting their long-term business and security strategies. Now, to help us do that, we've invited the founder and president of Osterman Research, Michael Osterman, to be with us. Welcome, Michael. Bob, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me here today. I'm glad to have you here. And, and I wanted to thank you for specifically helping us dig into this topic. I mean, we've got your survey report, but um, Osterman has been doing a lot of research of this kind over the last year, correct? Correct. Yeah, we've done a lot of research. We did a big uh, research project early on in the pandemic, really to find out how organizations were responding early on. But then we've done a lot of research since, asking questions about uh, security, archiving, content management, how organizations are doing encryption, really trying to understand how how decision makers are sort of feeling their way through the pandemic, because this is really uncharted territory for most of them. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, they're I mean, there's the guesswork on the whole security side of things, but there's also the how workers are changing and, and some of the, the stuff that you found there. Because now your, your, your group conducted a survey for us uh, for Infoblocks called the Global Quest for Sustainable Work from Anywhere Security. So if, um, by the way, if any of the listeners want to see the report, you can find that on the Infoblocks website and download it. It's got all the wonderful details just listed under white papers under the resources. But Michael... Can you share the scope and methodology that you use to ensure that these results are actually meaningful? Sure. We did a little over 400 surveys. We did 100 in EMEA, 100 in APAC, and about 200 in North America. And what we wanted to do was talk to people in a security role. Uh, this was not a, a typical, just open the survey to anybody who wants to take it. These were qualified people, people that we qualified and ensured that um, really understand security in the organization. Uh, they manage it on a daily basis, and they're familiar with the nuts and bolts of how security is managed in the organization, uh, what they've been doing to, to address security, the new technologies they've implemented, the problems they've had, and so forth. So we talked to really very qualified people to, to understand really what was going on. And these were larger organizations. We didn't want to talk to necessarily just you know small mom and pop organizations. We wanted to talk mainly to uh, to very large organizations. So we yeah, had, and from uh, what I saw, these were more like these are people kind of leading the charge, people that were the first ones to cut their teeth on how to solve these problems. Very much so. Yeah, these these were big companies that were dealing with the problem. Okay. Now you asked them questions, not just about how they did their response to COVID, but over several periods. You want to explain what those were? Sure. What we wanted to do was, was really to find out what was happening with their response to COVID. Um, we wanted to, so we wanted to find out sort of the before state, looking back to about November of 2019, before any of this got started, 
looking at it early in the pandemic, later on at the, in the pandemic, around the October timeframe. And then we asked them to forecast out, you know, post-COVID-19, what did they expect was going to happen? So we wanted to compare, uh, you know, how they were going to be managing security, what percentage of their workforce was going to be remote and so forth across those four time periods. So we got basically a before, during and after picture. Yeah, and I, I to kind of size the problem for the audience here, I want to be real clear that one of the first things that stood out, it was one of your earlier questions, was when you asked them what their expectations were in a post-COVID world for remote workers, it was about double. They're expecting a, a major increase in remote workforce, even in a post-COVID world. Very much so. Yeah, basically, I mean, we saw this huge expansion of, of remote work with the vast majority of workers working remotely. And many are now going back to the office and, and many more will go back. But we're finding that remote work is pretty much here to stay, uh, particularly if you look at companies like Google, Salesforce, you know, lots of others. They've announced that uh, remote work is going to be the norm. And going into the office is going to be the exception in many cases. So I think, you know, remote work is is with us now for many, many years to come. Yeah, and I'm seeing that uh, driven from a lot of different areas. I remember back in December, there was uh, an article in CFO magazine where um, financial leaders were starting to push for a larger remote workforce because, you know, there's the economy of scale kind of thing. But there, there were just a lot of business and financial benefits to doing this. And it seems that now that we've been forced to do it, a lot of the fears people had about, oh, but this is, you know, stuff that's going to happen if you start getting them out from under your, you know, constant supervision, none of that came to light. So, um, you know, we, we're just seeing that there's a lot of, of value in going remote. Um, even our own company has just moved to a new headquarters, reducing uh, our footprint significantly in a, as far as office space goes. Yeah. And I, I think that's, you know, it, it takes a different management style instead of, evaluating how somebody schmoozes around a water cooler, you evaluate them based on milestones of the work they're actually getting done. Mm. And I think companies have adapted, adapted pretty well to that. Um, mm. You know, they've understood that, that you know, manage people, uh, you know, based on on the volume of work, the milestones they hit and so forth. And that's, I, I think it's a, in, in terms of, of management style and productivity, we're seeing some real benefits. You know, and, and as the article noted, I mean, there were you know, major benefits around reduced real estate costs because now you have, you know, smaller offices and so forth. And all of that goes right to the bottom line and has you know, some significant impacts. Yeah. I mean, just imagine measuring people based on the quality of their work and not on all the, that other stuff. Um, <laughs> so now um, moving on uh, again to give context to the rest of the data, the, the you know, post COVID-19 response it's important for that, given them a foundation. So for the most part, people talk about how hard or painful it was when the pandemic hit and, you know, where everybody was scrambling to a work from home environment, you know, overnight. But your survey asked some more details about where they felt that pain. Where, where did the company suffer in that transition? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of it was um, the fact that it happened so suddenly. You know, we saw organizations had to scramble, you know, in, in many cases in 24 or 36 hours to get people, um, you know, up and running. So they even had to do basic things like get them laptops, get them desktop computers and so forth. Um, uh, but the organization suffered most trying to maintain their existing services and capabilities or expanding digital transformation projects. Uh, digital transformation took a, a temporary hit, you know, for the first couple of months as a lot of those um, uh, initiatives were set aside. And then all of a sudden they ramped back up again as organizations realized they needed to do 
digital transformation and to do it really well to enable new business models for customers, for their supply chain, for employees and so forth. Um, and, and it was, you know, it, there were a lot of issues around compliance and so forth, but, you know, organizations pretty quickly adapted to the new paradigm. Yeah, and, and the report highlights that those two areas, you know, the, the maintaining the existing services and expanding digital transformation, that's where most organizations globally uh, really felt the pain. But also in that data, there were some significant regional variations across some of the other uh, areas of impact, such as compliance. Very much so, yeah. While the global average numbers might have been close to what we expected, uh, it was kind of surprising, surprising to see some of uh, what the regional differences were. Um, almost half of the organizations in EMEA uh, suffered in trying to maintain existing service or support their digital transformation projects. Uh, about twice as many APAC organizations reported challenges with privacy compliance mm. than with those in EMEA. And part of that is, is that EMEA... Uh, has been more focused, particularly Western yeah. Europe has been more focused on privacy. GDPR for many all, yeah. Years. yeah, because yeah, GDPR and going back to the data protection statutes from the late 90s and so forth. Yeah. Um, and almost three times as many North American organizations struggled with industry compliance compared to EMEA. And again, that's because North American organizations don't have that sort of culture of compliance that we find in Western Europe or other parts of the world. Yeah, and that was one of the things I really liked about your report is that in all this data, you didn't just do global averages. You were able to drill into some of the regional variations because businesses don't work the way everywhere. Even just like, you know, doing video conferencing. I notice when I'm uh, video conferencing with a large group in Asia, um, they almost always keep their cameras off. Um, when I go to Europe, there's always the cameras on. There's social and, and other things behind all this. And we got to realize that security doesn't work in a vacuum. It's part of the way your business and people work. So, um, but the good news is, uh, going on to some of the other data, is that you found that most of the organizations actually saw some improvement to their security as a result of how they responded to COVID. Very much so. Um, about half saw only minor improvements, you know, to be sure, but but 47% of those we surveyed saw significant or major improvement. So, you know, they, they were able to hit the ground, you know, running fairly quickly in many cases and, and really uh, develop much better security protocols, um, implement better security technologies and so forth. And, and I was surprised that this wasn't just about, you know, remote worker security, which obviously went up, but those same changes actually improved um, their, their regular mobile force, you know, the salespeople and others who have to travel to part of their job. Um, I used to be one of those road warriors where, and what the survey didn't capture is I bet they were actually even more productive because I remember as a road warrior, there were things I couldn't do when I was traveling because in order to be safe, oh no, you got to be on the network to do that. But they didn't have that excuse. So they raised security, improved productivity. And the report shows that even in office security went up. Absolutely. We found that about one in four believe their in-office security is actually better today than it was pre-COVID. So we've seen, you know, a lot of spillover effects and, and many of those have been very positive. So why do you think that that is? Well, the survey was focused on long-term security strategy. So it didn't really go into much detail on the short-term COVID response. We wanted to look at, at what the impact was going to be over the long term. But you can imagine that IT and security teams uh, really benefited from the emergency budget allocations oh, yeah. and approval process that was likely shortened or eliminated in a lot of organizations. Uh, organizations had to scramble. And so you know, it was much easier to get things approved and to get, it, get them approved very quickly. Uh, so it's probable that security teams were able to make 
more than a few changes to their security posture overall. They were able to do some of the things maybe that they had wanted to do all along, but never really had the budget for. Yeah, things that they just, you know, couldn't get that last vote on the board or something to give them the money. Yeah, very much so. All right. Now, another thing that the, the survey revealed was that a lot of the companies in their response turned to VPN. Or VPN. Yeah, well, uh, only 37% used VPN before COVID. Uh, that jumped to 67, uh, 65% by April. Oh, so we saw this awesome. massive shift at VPN because you know people understood that VPN was valuable, but they they really had to use it as you had suddenly had you know tens of millions of, of workers working from home, uh, and VPN use has stayed you know steady with 63% of the workforce uh, using VPN as of the October November timeframe when we did the survey. However, their response in the survey indicates that they expect to reduce their dependency on VPN in a post-COVID world. They're actually going to be using it less than they were, you know, right in the midst of the pandemic itself. But going back to why they turned to it early on, was it just because they had the license for it? I think that's part of it. You know, VPN was there. Uh, it was available. Um, I think it's a it's really a safe choice and they needed to minimize risk. They needed to, they needed something to be able to allow uh, people to communicate more uh, securely, you know, when they were remote. Uh, there were enough unknowns in the mix trying to shift a huge population off network while ensuring productivity, uh, maintaining security levels and so forth. And it really wasn't easy for everyone to do this, but at least they didn't have to learn a new security solution overnight in parallel oh, yeah. with all of these other massive changes that were going on with their people, with their processes, with dealing with, uh, you know, how customers, supply chains were working and so forth. Yeah, it's it's funny how today it's still so true that whenever you buy a security solution, it normally creates a few other problems. So, yeah, nobody really wants to have to get something new. So I guess using what they already had, what they already knew. Uh, made that safe. But the survey does call out that they're not all satisfied with VPN. That's correct. Yeah. A lot of that has to do with the scale of the deployment and what remote workers are enabled to do remotely. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, that that was a big part of it. it you know, we had never really used VPN on this kind of a scale. And so suddenly before. Yeah. I mean, because again, when I was a road warrior, I remember having to call somebody back at the office to run up a report or look up something um, but having a VPN would have allowed me to do that, but it still wasn't the same thing as being in the office. VPN didn't al always work the way it was supposed to. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. And, and COVID not only necessitated a larger number of remote workers, but expanded the list of things they had to do remotely. Uh, and that drove the need to do data and processes that really had never been exposed in this way before. So, you know, for a lot of organizations, it was really very, very new territory for them. So VPN was obviously a logical choice, again, a safe choice, um, but why are they now looking at alternatives? Well, in this case, there wasn't really one thing that stood out as a reason for them to reduce their dependence on VPN. We found really a variety of things, uh, but the survey uncovered a lot of challenges uh, that, that organizations encounter using VPN. For example, 15% complained that their users found using VPN to be a hassle. Um, you know, if, if you've ever used VPN and depending upon the solution you use, it can be pretty slow and, and dramatically reduce performance on your system. 10% uh, reported that setting VPN up was a hassle. Uh, another 10% said that uh, maintaining it was a hassle. Uh, so a lot of the discontent is, is around what, you know, this quote unquote hassle. VPN just doesn't seem that easy to deploy, use or maintain. Uh, we found also in the survey that another one out of seven organizations or 14% complained about connectivity issues like dropped mm -hmm. connections, which can be fairly common with VPN. 
And there were other responses, including, uh, you know, the old reliable, it costs too much response uh, from about 7% of organizations. Yeah, and I suppose with the shift to cloud, some of this is getting uh, a little bit easier, which is where the survey kind of went next is, so with that being a concern, what applications are they using or, or budgeting um, to deal with this long-term remote workforce? You know, VPN is only acceptable as a short-term for a lot of them. So let's go over my favorite part of your survey about, you know, what solutions do they think could replace their dependence on VPN? And, and of course, you even go into you know, what ones they're using today and where the money is actually going to be spent. But, you know, let's uh, take a look. What were the technologies they're evaluating? Well, the survey asked about 18 different security technologies. Basically, we gave people a laundry list of things they could choose from. Uh, so a lot more that we can go into here. Uh, and none of those are really a direct replacement for VPN itself. But the top three technologies that really could reduce their dependence on VPN are first endpoint, <coughs> I apologize for my cough here, uh, just getting over a cold. Uh, those are yeah. happening these days, I hear. <laughs> uh, first was endpoint antivirus or anti-malware. Second was DNS security. And third was identity and access management, or IAM. And each of those technologies was chosen by about half of all the respondents we spoke to. Okay, so that's that's ones that they think could actually be a, a replacement. But which of those, I mean, what are they using today? Well, what's interesting is that the same three came out on top in terms of what they're yes. using today. Endpoint antivirus, DNS security, and identity and access management. Uh, but secure email gateways came out a very close fourth. That was that was interesting. Yeah, and I did recall quite a few. Um, but your top three or four, I noticed, you know, those have big numbers. And then everything else dropped really down. So these were pretty definitive findings. Um, and that was that was also very interesting for me, particularly. And I would think anybody on our you know listening audience who's responsible for making budget decisions, mm -hmm. um, there's some pretty clear guidance. So you can see what your peers are doing, but where are they investing? And that goes to that budget thing. A lot of people will say, "Oh yeah, I would do this if I was you." And then if you ask them where they're going to spend the money, well, well, I would do this other thing. You know. So let's get down to the truth. Where are they actually looking to spend money? Well, of those three that I've just mentioned, only DNS security is expected to see some real investment with 26% of respondents saying they're going to be investing there. Uh, CASB, uh, Cloud Access Security Broker, was number one with 32%, and that was followed by Next Generation Firewalls with 22%. Yeah, and I, I saw those numbers, and it was kind of interesting because, like you said, of the top three that they said they're using, DNS security is the only one that they're going to invest more in significantly. Um but then I, I, so I added up where they're going to spend and where they've already spent, the stuff they've got and the other. And when I look at that, um, it came up to, um, let's see here. Uh, looks like the number one is DNS security. 87% of respondents either own or are going to invest in security solutions. Um, endpoint, endpoint antivirus or malware. Um, that's number two. I was really surprised. I would expect they'd already have a big investment, but indeed, again, what they own and what where they're investing, 78%. Um, and then uh, CASB, which didn't come up on the first two lists as a top three or even a top four. This one comes in as a solid third place. It's, it looks like CASB's day has finally come. Everybody's been, been talking about that for a while. And finally, it looks like... Um, they're going to put some money into CASB because they're moving to the cloud, I take it. To, if you're going to have your employees everywhere, um, why have everybody backhaul to the home office? 
Um, do those things make sense to you, by the way? I mean, did my math, did I violate anything in your survey? No, not at all. Uh, basically, within the margins of error, you're right on. Cool. And now, so to be clear, there are other things outside of this survey that are helping organizations evolve. You and I did a webinar um, uh, where we got some Q&A uh, earlier uh, when the report first came out. Now, um, some of the companies are shifting to the cloud services, which we talked about. Um, they don't need a VPN for that because they're using a browser with HTTPS. You know, they're getting their encryption in another way. Um, so they were already doing some things that were reducing their dependence on VPN. But there are still other reasons where VPN, you know, is still going to be a valid solution. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and we're not saying that VPN is being replaced. It's, it's not going away. We're going to continue to see VPN used uh, for many, many years to come. The survey only basically told us that a lot of organizations are looking to reduce their dependence on VPN by investing in other solutions. But it's, it's really going to be a whole panoply of solutions, not uh, really a wholesale replacement of VPN by any means. Yeah, I, I still get a little bit of a shock when I look at what we've got, you know, in our portfolios today, because I started in this business when the only things you could buy in addition to what came with your operating system was desktop antivirus. They didn't have it for servers and a firewall. Those are the only two security products we had back in, you know, when I first got exposed to this. And today I talk to vendors, uh, or to me, customers who are, who say they're dealing with 20 or 30 different vendors of products. And for each one of those vendors, they've got multiple products. It's, it's just really, um, it's a mess <laughs> to try and track all of this. Um, but I've only used uh, VPN a handful of times myself. So yeah, it's uh, in the last year for my job. Most everything's in the cloud. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, we've skipped across the report, just cover some of the highlights here because of our, our you know, trying to keep these uh, podcasts short and consumable for our listeners. Um, but do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners about other things that are of, that you think uh, are worthwhile noting? Well, I mean, as you've noted, uh, you know, security really is very much an ongoing process. You don't just respond to COVID and then move on. Uh, security is always a moving target. You know, as you've noted, I mean, back in the old days, mm -hmm. um, you know, we had a very simple security infrastructure. Now we have very sophisticated adversaries. And so it really is very much a moving target, and it requires continual adaptation to new and changing conditions. Um, we saw a big hit from COVID. Uh, organizations had to respond very quickly and had to do a lot of things that they hadn't done before. Um, but we should just expect more of that in the future. Uh, you know, security continues to be this, this sort of ongoing process that's going to have to get better and better. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a moving target. And, uh, you know, we've got new technologies coming out. Um, you know, companies are making uh, their their choices and shifts on, on browsers even. We've got dot and doe technologies that are coming out and impacting things. Um, you know, the technology landscape is changing. If not, uh, you know, almost as fast, almost the same as the threat landscape. You're getting hit from both sides. So security becomes a, a constant juggling act. So really appreciate you being with us today, Michael. I'm sure we'll have you on in the future again. Bob, it was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me today. All right. And I want to thank to all of our listeners um, and viewers, uh, if you're watching the live stream, join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risk on Threat Talk.